Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. It's Alex Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. The 2021 NHL Draft a month away. We get to know a couple of more players, potential first-round picks for the draft on this week's episode, as well as uh, we'll chat with a scout who specializes in the Ontario Hockey League, a league that didn't play at all this year. All that and more this week on the Pipeline Show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Guy Flaming. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky in Alberta, and I dare say it's the best beef jerky you've ever had. If you haven't had it yet, well, I don't know what you're waiting for. If you live in Western Canada, you can order it from the two locations in Alberta where you actually have to go to uh, to buy them because they're not available. It's not available at convenience stores or grocery stores where they have the freshness packet that's inside so they don't go moldy and things. This is fresh right from the uh, the shop in Leduc or in Spruce Grove at wilhockbeefjerky.com. You can get in touch with them, and if you're in Western Canada, they'll ship it to you. And it is well worth uh, your time to do so. Uh, it's it's so good. It's so tender. It's juicy. It's uh it's so flavorful. They marinate it and they season it, and it's it's fantastic. I highly highly recommend it. That's Wilhock Beef Jerky. I don't have a question of the week for you this week. Uh, lots of news and notes though, so let's get right to those, and I'll tell you who the uh, guest list is a uh, little bit later on in this opening segment. Uh, we'll start. In the Canadian Hockey League, and we'll move from west to east, and I guess the big news in the WHL is the announcement of uh, the upcoming season. And uh, we know the dates. They had the annual general meeting that, that that wrapped up. The season will start on October 1st. It will be back to a 68-game regular season schedule. No interleague play, though, so no interconference play, excuse me. Uh, so the East and the Western conferences will not play each other at all uh, until the WHL final, the championship in the playoffs. And we kind of, we've speculated about that for a long time now. Just the, all the teams in, in well, in junior hockey period, college hockey, as far as that goes, uh, this has been a, a, a very tough stretch for those clubs financially. Anything they can do to cut costs and, and save money, uh, I think we're seeing that already. And I I would venture to say this is, this is a step in with that in mind uh, interleague travel, 
between conferences in the Western Hockey League with how big of a geographical footprint this league has, you have to think it's uh, it's massive. I know in the OHL, there are teams who might spend one or two nights a season in a hotel. Uh, that is definitely not the case in the WHL, uh, where you could be gone for a couple of weeks on a single road trip. Uh, so I, I understand it completely. It's actually why one of the reasons I've, I've kind of lobbied for having four leagues in the CHL now and where you would split the WHL in half because of the how big the league is territorially. And um, I, I would recommend having a, a, a fourth league, and I've called it the, the Pacific Hockey League, the PHL. That would be BC in the Pacific Northwest. And maybe you gradually expand a little bit further south. Maybe have another team in Oregon. Try getting into Idaho, something like that. Uh, and maybe even Northern California. Who knows? Uh, but that's something I talked about, must be a couple of seasons ago, with uh, Pete Labardius on the program. I think that is still archived on the front page of the website at uh, thepipelineshow.com if you want to check out that conversation. There are definitely some hurdles to that plan. Uh, and all of that is uh, talked about uh, in that uh, that interview with Pete. But the league is back, and it is official, and it will start on October 1st. I know uh, here in Edmonton, the Oil Kings and the uh, Red Deer Rebels, they often play their uh, opening weekend uh, against each other home and home, and that is the case again uh, this season. The playoffs format a little bit different as well. They're going back to the uh, conference uh, format. So it'll be one versus eight, two versus seven, uh, three versus six, and, and four versus five, getting away from the divisional rivalry. I like that. I am a little bit surprised by that because, again, for the cost saving, now you have a situation where you could have Brandon playing against Edmonton. So the travel could be more than if it was just kept to the divisional alignment, which they've used, I think, for the last five or six years. So I'm a little surprised by it, but I like it better. I, I like going to the conference play because I think it, you know, what we've seen the last few years is there are times when one division is much better than the other division in the same conference, and you're you're getting rid of some really good teams too early in the playoffs, in my opinion. So I like the conference playoffs better. So that's the news out of the WHL this week. The uh, Ontario Hockey League, uh, I don't think they've officially announced when they're coming back just yet. I, I know there were, was talk that it was about to be announced, but still having some issue getting that off the ground. But I, I think everybody expects it to be, you know, the same time as the WHL and the Q. A couple of uh, coaching decisions this week in the OHL, though. The um, Oshawa Generals have announced that the club and head coach Greg Walters have parted ways. Not sure if anybody expected that. And I don't know if it's just something about this time of year, but uh, the Owen Sound Attack and uh, their head coach, Alan Latang, have also decided to uh, to part as well. Alan Latang stepping down from his role. He's been with the organization for five seasons. Also an assistant coach. With the Oshawa Generals, that would be Greg Nemitz is uh, gone. So some changes behind the bench in the Ontario Hockey League. But as far as I can tell, I'm just looking at their website right now, the OHL website. I don't see anything official about the 2021-22 season. So we'll see. In the Canadian Junior Hockey League, that would be the 10 Junior A leagues across the country. Um, a number of them have announced their plans to return uh, to action th this, uh, this coming fall. Uh, one of them, the AJHL here in Alberta, they're going to start. The exhibition season in the AJHL will begin on the 27th of August. Uh, 16 teams again in the league as the uh, Black Falls Bulldogs uh, finally 
uh, be able to hit the ice. Uh, they've been tweeting like madmen for the last uh, 12 months or so. Uh, really looking forward to having them in the league. Uh, Black Falls is just north of Red Deer. And the season will begin September 17th. There is a AJHL a prospect showcase uh, from July 23rd to 25th. That'll be for uh, players uh, looking to get exposure to get into the AJHL. The annual AJHL showcase, that's the one where all the NCAA teams come to watch, as well as some uh, WHL clubs and NHL scouts as well. Uh, that will be held in Brooks this year from September 30th to October 3rd. The CJHL Prospects game uh, is going to be held in January, but they haven't settled on a, a firm date as of yet. I haven't seen the announcement of uh, a World Junior A Challenge where that's going to be or when. I, I did read that the that Canada would not be sending a team to the Ivan Holinka this year. Surprised me a little bit. Uh, other leagues in the CJHL that have announced uh, their start plans, the, uh, Manitoba has done so, and the CCHL has announced uh, the same. Saskatchewan, they they announced it back on June 8th. So everybody uh, getting their ducks all in a row and getting set to return. Uh, a couple of new teams. There's a new club in the SIJHL. That's the Superior International Junior Hockey League. That's in That's one of the leagues inside the CJHL. The new club will be the Sioux Lookout Bombers, but they will not begin play until the 2022-23 season. So not this coming year, but the following year. And that will bring the number of teams in the SIJHL up to eight to go along with the Dryden, Fort Francis, and Carm River, Red Lake, Thief River Falls, Thunder Bay, and uh, the Wisconsin Lumberjacks. That's the CJHL League that's right around the, the Great Lakes, you know, in that Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Ontario that corner up there around the Great Lakes. So nice to see a little expansion there. And uh, speaking of expansion, another team in the MJHL as well, Niverville, Manitoba, has been granted a team. Also not starting this year, but the following season. Uh, and I had never heard of Niverville, so I looked it up. And it's listed like under 5,000 people live in Niverville. So uh, it's about... Uh, 45 minutes south of Winnipeg, so maybe a bit of a bedroom community there. Not the typical size of a town, though, for a Junior A franchise. So I was a little intrigued by that one. We'll see where it goes, but it sounds like everybody's excited about it. So a new team in Manitoba, which would boost Manitoba's clubs, the number of clubs, up to up to 13. So an odd number there. We'll see where it goes. If a town of 4,000 or 5,000 people can get a team... Uh, maybe there are other teams in Manitoba that will be exploring their options as well. So Niverville uh, joining the MJHL in about uh, 14 months from now. Ten players out of the CJHL ranked by NHL Central Scouting for the draft next month. The uh, highest ranked uh, here in Alberta would be uh, Corson Kuhlmans from the Brooks Bandits. Nick DeGrazia of the Rayside Ball for Canadians in the uh, Northern Ontario Junior Hockey League. He's ranked 85th. Artem Guriev from the Lindsay Muskies in the OJHL is uh, ranked 99th. There are other players as well. You can find all of those at cjhlhockey.com. Only news this week out of the USHL is their uh, first team All-Stars, and uh, I can tell you who those are. That's uh, Up front, you have Matt Coronado, draft eligible, Sean Farrell and Daniel Gushin, who are uh, both drafted. Mason Lowry on the blue line, who was drafted. Ryan Efko from the Chicago Steel. And the goaltender is Akira Schmidt, who's played a couple of years now in the USHL after he was dropped 
by the Lethbridge Hurricanes after a uh, an awful training camp that he had with the Hurricanes a couple of years ago. But he's uh, gone on to have some success uh, south of the border in the USHL. The North American Hockey League uh, is wrapping things up this weekend. Four teams left. They're having a, a mini tournament, sort of a mini Memorial Cup, if you will. Um, the four teams, Minnesota Magicians, the Aberdeen Wings, the Maine Nordiques, and the mighty Shreveport Mudbugs, one of those teams will come away with the Robertson Cup after this weekend. A couple of big NCAA notes uh, to pass on as uh, Matt Curley, the head coach in Anchorage, has uh, stepped down. Of course, that team, that program in jeopardy, they're not going to play this year, but he has uh, left the program. I believe it's uh, five seasons that he's been behind the bench of the Seawolves. Northeastern has lost its head, head coach, Jim Madigan, but they don't lose him to another f- program or anything. He's moving up. He's now the athletic director at Northeastern. He's being replaced by Jerry Keefe, who was uh, on the bench with him. So a promotion for the assistant coach and uh, the head coach now becomes the athletic director of the entire school. And uh, speaking of schools, John Buchagras uh, broke the news I believe that was on a Monday or Tuesday this week that uh, the Augustana Vikings, and this is the Augustana University that's based in South Dakota, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, not the Augustana University that's here in Alberta in Camrose, also called the Vikings, but the Augustana University Vikings in Sioux Falls, South Dakota are uh, planning to become a Division One uh, school and will start a Division One program in time for not this year but next year. Which I and everyone is still expecting Lindenwood to uh, also do the same. They are in a suburban St. Louis. College Hockey News has a great little summary of what's happening. Three programs on the way out with Alabama Huntsville up in the air. Just mentioned Alaska Anchorage, Robert Morris. Those three programs leaving. There are 60 teams, so that would drop it down to 57. But now we've got St. Thomas joining Lindenwood on the way. Now we're hearing about Augustana. And as the uh, story at College Hockey News uh, reminds everybody, Illinois and Navy were supposedly close. And also uh, Tennessee State in Nashville, really interestingly, uh, they've made it known that they're exploring the option of going Division One, and they're taking part in feasibility studies, things like that. And it's notable if it is Tennessee State, if they do it, because uh, as the story uh, reports, it would be the first historically black college and university in the U.S. to add hockey. I think that would be great. Could we see a, a team consisting in entirely of African-American uh, players? I, I think that would be fantastic. But we'll see where it goes from here. Let's get to the guest list, and uh, all of my guests will join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. I got my new shipment last week, actually a couple weeks ago now. I was enjoying a juicy gossip uh, last night. The tap room in Red Deer is open once again. Of course, you go online, you place your order if you live between Calgary and St. Albert, and that includes Edmonton and uh, Red Deer and Leduc, Airdrie, and all the towns in between, even Sherwood Park. You go to troubledmonk.com shop, you use promo code PIPELINE, and they will ship it to you right to your door, 100% free delivery. That's at troubledmonk.com shop. But if you are happen to be driving through Red Deer, you can go to the tap room. It's open, and you can enjoy some exclusive uh, brews that are only available at the taproom. That's at troubledmonk.com. Craft beverages worth sharing. The guest list this week looks like this. As uh, only three guests this week, I, I had uh, a couple of things taking me away from uh, recording um, 
from doing interviews and things like that this week. So uh, three guests for you, but it's a, a solid show as a couple of them are expected to be first-round picks in the NHL draft and a, a conversation with a scout as well. We'll begin with a player named Jack Peart. He's a defenseman with the Fargo Force, although he played much of this past year, kind of split between Fargo and his uh, high school team in Minnesota. But a guy who is uh, ranked pretty high by NHL Central Scouting inside the first round. So we'll get to know Mr. Peart. And uh, from there, we'll have another 2021 draft spotlight segment. This with a player that I, I know much better. Dylan Gunther of the Edmonton Oil Kings, who I've been spoiled and has been able to watch in person since he uh, first stepped into the WHL. This is a player that I think everybody expects to be the first player from the WHL to be chosen at the draft next month. Most likely a top 15 pick, probably a top 10 pick, maybe even a top 5 pick. That's Dylan Gunther of the Edmonton Oil Kings. You get to know him here today on this week's episode. And we will end things with uh, Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey, who he specializes in the OHL. But what does a guy do when the league you specialize in doesn't play at all this year? Well, you uh, watch a ton of video, and uh, some of those the high-end guys got to go to Europe, and then they played in the World U18, so you're focusing on events like that when you can. Well, I'll let Brock Otten tell you all about it. Uh, we'll do that on the show today as well to wrap things up. But we will start with a twenty with a pair of 2021 draft spotlight segments. Jack Peart uh, from the Fargo Force. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Smirnoff breaks across, turns it over to Allison. Here he comes, one-on-one. Allison, deep left, shoots, scores! The undressed defender at the right slot. He went backhander, turned to the forehand, and wristed it under Wisho. Hey, I'm Wade Allison from the Tri-City Storm, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. She's the girl of my dream, she's the girl of my Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. NHLers Kyle Turris. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! And Duncan Keith. And future NHLers Tyson Jost and Dante Fabro all took the campus route. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Great Scott! Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, brought to you, of course, by Wilhock Beef Turkey, the best beef turkey in Alberta. And we're going to turn the 2021 draft spotlight on, and we'll do that, uh, well, for the next month and a half. Uh, we've been doing it for all season long, but um, obviously as the draft gets closer and closer, we'll be doing it even more. And uh, my guest this week, a lot of buzz about uh, my next guest, a defenseman who played uh, high school hockey in Minnesota, but also in the USHL. Uh, for the Fargo Force, but from uh, Grand Rapids High School. Uh, my guest is uh, defenseman Jack Peart. Jack, welcome to the program. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, making the time. I, I know this time of year, I'm wondering, the draft just over a month away now, is, uh, are you starting to get nervous or excited? Maybe a little bit of both? Um, It's, it's a little bit of excitement, but uh, kind of just trying to focus on uh, my off-season training right now and and uh, getting back on the ice and, and uh, working on the skills. So what does the off-season training uh, include for you? A lot of time in the gym, or are you a, a guy who likes to play other sports to, to keep it fit in the off-season? What, what's it look like for you? 
Um, yeah, right now I'm in, in St. Cloud, um, and, uh, I have a, a weight program from them. So I'll be doing that in the gym and, and then skating with the, the team down here for, for another week and, and then, uh, get to go back to Grand Rapids and, and, uh, yeah, skate back there and, and do those same workouts in the gym. Nice. Uh, I know for depending on which league a, a player was in this past season, whether it was in the States and um, each state seemed like it was a different situation, obviously up here in Canada as well. We were going through the whole pandemic. How weird was it for you? Did it impact what you could do and where you played this year? At high school, you played 18 games. Fargo, you played 24. That seems to me a lot less than you would play in a normal season. So I imagine you had it, you felt it as well. Yeah, no, it was it was definitely weird. Um, back in high school, we actually had to wear a mask while we were playing, so um, that was definitely odd. But uh, no, it was it was just good to, to get on the ice and, and play games, and um, we were really fortunate to have a, a somewhat regular season because I know um, a lot of the Canadian teams didn't didn't start um, when we started and um, had barely even played. Yeah, the OHL didn't play at all. In, in the West, they played like 25 games like like you did in Fargo, but that was only over a couple of months. And, and out in the on the East Coast, they tried to play a full season, but had lots of stops and starts along the way. So there were a lot of hiccups for everybody. Obviously, this is your final year uh, playing high school hockey. How important was it for you to, to end it um, at Grand Rapids rather than play a full season in the USHL? No, it was, it was really special and um no it was it was what i wanted to do um those those guys back home have uh helped me get to where i am and um i knew i had to to go back and and uh try and help them get to a state tournament and um I fell short but um definitely got the the community of grand rapids excited about hockey again and and definitely helped grow the the youth program back in in, in grand rapids I'm pretty happy with the way you played uh, individually. 35 points in 18 games sounds pretty darn impressive. Yeah, no, it was it was a a good season for me. Uh, to what do you chalk that up? I mean, you had 27 points last year, but you'd played seven or eight more games last year as well. So uh, a big jump offensively forward. Is that just more ice time? You got another year under your belt? Yeah, I feel like it was development. Um, uh, I I got to spend two months um, in Fargo before um, going back to Grand Rapids, and um, getting to play with those high-level players definitely helped my development. And um, I felt like I was so much better than than when I got to Fargo. So um, yeah, no, I'd say it was was development. All right, so it was Fargo, then back to high school, and then back to Fargo again to finish out the season and into the playoffs. And and the Force did very well at getting to the uh, Car Cup. Uh, championship uh, ended up losing it to Chicago, but getting that far uh, certainly notable. I, I'm guessing having started in Fargo this year, when you went back, that must have made it a little bit more comfortable since you'd already been there. Yeah, it was still a little bit of an adjustment. Um, you know, the the speed is definitely different from high school to juniors, and hmm. and uh, you no, know, it took me a, a couple games to get back up to that speed, and and uh, finally playing the 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 game that I wanted to play and, but no, it was, it was good to, to return to the guys and they were very welcoming and um, no, it, they, they made the transition a, a, a lot easier. Well, and, and the offense that you had in high school seemed to follow you to Fargo. You had 15 points in 24 games in the regular season, almost a point per game guy 
in the playoffs. That doesn't happen for a lot of players when they take a step up. Uh, why do you think you had success like that? And I know you already credited your your teammates. Uh, I'm sure that goes a long way. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say the exact same thing. It was it was a lot of my teammates. Um, I was I was getting assists, and um, guys were were putting the puck in the net when when I would pass it to them. So um, yeah, gotta thank them. And and uh, the, the goals that I had were were nice passes from from teammates as well. So. Um, Got to give them a lot of credit for, for those points. Jack Peart is my guest. He's a defenseman, played at Grand Rapids. Uh, next year he'll be at St. Cloud, also played for Fargo this season. He is a draft-eligible player. And, uh, Jack, uh, we use this part of the show to let our audience, who might right now might be a lot of casual NHL fans who don't pay any attention to junior or college hockey at all, so... Uh, but maybe you just got drafted by their favorite teams, so they're going back and listening to, to old interviews and things, and they want some information about you. So maybe let's start at the beginning. Uh, where are you from, Jack? Uh, Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Born and raised? Born and raised. Wow. Uh, how old were you when you first started playing? Do you remember? Um, three years old. All right, so pretty young. Have you always been a defenseman, or did you uh, try forward or even get to put the pads on once? Um, I played... Uh... I was a center for my first, I want to say, five years, five or six years of my hockey career. And um, then it was about squirts or period age that I, I moved back to a defenseman. Okay. Any particular reason why you chose to do that? And obviously it, it stuck with you, so it was a good move. But uh, how come? Why in the first place? Um, one of my coaches decided to, to move me back, and they thought that uh, I could help us on the back end. So, um, yeah. I've loved it ever since, and and haven't looked back. That's for sure. Excellent. Uh, what led you to St. Cloud? We'll, we'll talk about that. I know it's a, a program that's had a lot of success over the last number of years. Whether it's been in the the old WCHA or the NCHC now, um, why was St. Cloud? Why was St. Cloud the right uh, program for you? Um, they they have great uh, facilities here. Um, like you saw, they they have a great team coming back and. Um, now the, the guys here are just so close to each other and it's, it's such a great culture we have in the locker room. And, um, I think that started just from, from the, from the coaching staff. And that was probably one of the biggest reasons was, um, Brett Larson moving in and, and getting Nick Oliver and Dave Shyak. Um, no, it was, it was, uh, really important in my decision to, to have that coaching staff and you can just see the the culture that they've grown here uh, no question about that they've, they've got a pretty solid track record already under their belts uh, other freshmen coming into st cloud guys you're familiar with or guys that are already at the program mother minnesota guys or something that you've crossed paths with in, in the past yeah mason salquist he he played at fargo all year he was an assistant captain there and then josh ludke he um he played in Des Moines. He was their captain. He played um, Minnesota High School all the way up um, at Minnetonka. So um, I ran into him when I was a sophomore, and he was a senior. I see. So that must make it easier, though. I mean, this is another big step up for you, and you were talking about going from high school to junior uh, being a big step. Well, this is even bigger than that, I would suggest. And uh, having some familiar faces around, I'm sure that will make it easier. No, it definitely helps. And um, there's a, there's a guy here by the name of Micah Miller, who, who's from, uh, Grand Rapids as well. And, um, he was, he was one of my idols when he was playing high school hockey. So it's, it's pretty cool getting to play with him next year. And, 
um, no, it definitely makes it a lot easier having some faces that you know in the locker room. Jack, how uh, how often do you hear your name getting butchered? Let's say you're at a visiting team's rink and you, you, you get a point or you take a penalty or something. Uh, how often do they get it wrong? Because, I mean, I'm sure you're no stranger. It could be pronounced several different ways just by looking at it, but it is Jack Peart. But how often do you hear it mispronounced and what's the most frequent way it's uh, it's incorrectly said? Um, it's probably every time unless it's, um, <laughs> at our home rink. That's a, that's probably the only spot that, uh, it's right. And, um, I'd say the most commonly way it's said is, is pert. Okay. All right. Well, it is Jack Peart, uh, not part or pert or, uh, or part, uh, all of those different. I mean, it could, uh, it looks like it could be any of those, but, uh, it is Peart and I double. Uh, double check that uh, before I connected with you today. Um, how much has the draft been on your mind uh, this year, Jack? Um, I mean, you you definitely look at it, and and uh, but no, you you gotta just play hockey and and try to get better, and and that's what I I focused on this year. I know it's uh, it's going to be a special year, and uh, just just kind of trying to make the most of it. I, I know there are players who tell me they they don't look at rankings because that could be a distraction. Uh, but there are other players who tell me that they actively seek out to see where central scouting has them ranked or, you know, any of the individual or uh, the independent uh, agencies that are out there uh, because they use that as motivation. Uh, what about for you, Jack? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, everyone uh, at least takes a peek at it once and, and knows where they're ranked. And um, no, it, it definitely is motivation at the same time because um, if you're rated lower than you want to be, um, I feel like uh, a lot of hockey players are competitive and and want to want to show that they're uh, they're better than what they're ranked. Awesome. Does it matter to you where you're going to be selected in the draft? At what point or what round? Or, because there's really no question that you are or aren't going to be drafted. Everybody has you ranked, you know, in the top two rounds. But does it matter what part of the draft you're selected? Uh, no, it doesn't. Short and sweet answer. I like that. No, no, no debate about it, eh? Uh, I'll add on to it if you want me to. Go ahead. Um, I feel like, um, yeah, just being drafted would be um, a childhood dream, and and uh, the the draft uh, it means something for for about a day or two, and then it's um, whoever whoever gets back to work and um, whoever just keeps developing their game. So um, yeah, wherever I get drafted, um, yeah, it's, it's cool for a day or two, but uh, no, it's, it's right back to work. Uh, Jack, that's the right answer right there. Um, For those of us who haven't had a a great chance to watch you play or, you know, for the fans who uh, you were just selected to their favorite team or something like that, um, give us a a self-scouting report. What kind of player do you see yourself as? Uh, I'd say I'm a two-way defenseman. Um, I like to to break pucks out and and go and play in the offensive zone. But at the at the same time, I can um, play in the D zone and, and close guys out and and box guys out. Uh, you're on the power play. Are you the 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 trigger man, or are you moving the puck around? Uh, I'm I'm more of a a puck mover. Nothing wrong with that. Everybody needs uh, somebody to pass the puck. That's for sure. Uh, the sheet I'm looking at says 5'11 and 181 pounds, but I don't know if that is up to date or, or not. What are you at right now? 5'11, 185. Not a big difference there. Do you, you think you're done growing? Um, I mean, I hope not. <laughs> but is are there is there a lot of height in your in your family or anything like that, or do you think uh, you know are you what are your parents like? 
Um, both my parents aren't the tallest people, but there is there is some height. Um, uh, my my mom's brother and and uh, my dad's dad are are both pretty tall. All right, so we'll see what happens uh, moving forward. Now, Minnesota guy, does that make you a Wild fan automatically, or do you cheering for other? Uh, maybe it's players that you're cheering for instead of teams. I mean, as a Wild fan, you you def or as a Minnesota boy, you definitely grow up watching the Wild and. Um, yeah, I'd say that's definitely the team that I rooted for when I was when I was young, and um, it was it was also the Gophers, and um, I, I remember uh, so many times just going out to my grandparents' house and and uh, sitting on the couch watching the Gophers as a family, and um, those are some of the best memories I have. Well, I gotta ask you then, why why the Huskies uh, of Saint Cloud instead of the Gophers? Um, I, I, I just felt like it was a better fit for me. Um, like I said, the culture in the locker room and, and, uh, the coaching staff, um, yeah, I just, I thought it was a better fit to me, a little closer to home. And, um, uh, no, I, I love, I love my decision with, with St. Cloud and, and definitely, um, don't regret it. Awesome. Jack, listen, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for doing this, especially in the off season like this. Uh, good luck, whatever happens to the draft, and uh, maybe we'll chat again at St. Cloud. For sure, thank you. That was Jack Peart from the Fargo Force, a man of few words. I had to spur him on a couple of times during that conversation just to give me a longer answers. But hey, some guys are like that. Uh, they they say what they want to say, and they get it done with very few words. Uh, Jack Peart, though, getting it done on the ice. Uh, I think this is a guy whose stock just seemed to be going up, up up as the year went on and then finishing off in uh, the ushl playoffs with fargo where he was a point almost a point per game guy seemed like his stock if you know if there was another month or two of the season maybe he's a first round pick on every list out there uh, as it is right now uh, it's like first or second round uh, but could be one of those guys who uh, who squeaks in at the end of round number one we'll see uh, we'll keep the 2021 draft spotlight turned on Dylan Gunther, he is definitely going to be a first-round pick. Placed for the Edmonton Oil Kings right here in uh, my backyard. I had a chance to chat with him earlier this week. And for those of you who don't know him, well, you get to know him next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. I'm Trey Fitzwilanski of the Edmonton Oil Kings. At his own blue line, now Fitzwilanski cutting in right circle. Dances around his man to his backhand. Forehand, he scores! <laughs> Oh my goodness, Trey Fitzwilanski. What a move, what a shot, what a goal. Oh mama. And this is the Pipeline Show. Troubled Mug Brew of the Week is the one that started it all. Tell us more about this classic, bud. Golden Gates Golden Ale. An easy drinking golden ale that you can use as your gateway to craft beer. This beer highlights the best malt in the world grown right here in our backyard. Player comparable, Nathan McKinnon. Underrated, yet awesome, every time out. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at troubledmonk.com. Troubled Monk, craft beverages worth sharing.
You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. We know each other. He's a friend from work. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. you got to get your beef jerky from either their location in Leduc or Spruce Grove. But if you're in Western Canada, you can call them. They'll ship it to you. It is the best beef jerky in Alberta. That's Wilhawk Beef Jerky. Let's continue on with the 2021 draft spotlights and uh, get to know another player that's eligible for the upcoming NHL draft. And I know the audience uh, across North America here uh, might not be as familiar with my next guest uh, as I am, because fortunately for me, uh, I'm uh, often part of the Edmonton Oil Kings uh, broadcast crew on the radio. And uh, so I've been able to see Dylan Gunther uh, for the last uh, few years. Uh, once he broke into the league, and uh, although this past season, Dylan, I had to watch all the games online. I couldn't get down to the rink, but uh, uh, thanks for taking the time in the offseason. How are you? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? I appreciate you making the time. Uh, what has the last uh, couple of months been like for you uh, since the, the WHL season ended, uh, and as the draft gets closer, I imagine you're doing a lot of uh, Zoom meetings and things like that. Yeah, no, it's been pretty busy. Uh, a lot of Zoom meetings, uh, just working out and skating and uh, just looking to, uh, you know, keep improving and getting better heading into the next year. How how weird was the last 15 months for you? As a, as a guy going into your draft season, obviously it's a big year. You're highly touted. Uh, and then there was so much, is the WHL even going to play? And it took so long to get around to it and it finally happened. And even then it was really short. It's got to be a, a really weird year. Yeah, obviously a ton of uncertainty. Uh, you know, even in Alberta, they shut down the rinks for a little bit uh, prior to our season. So, uh, yeah, it's weird when you kind of see other guys that they're playing and they're having success and they're unable to play. And uh, that's really out of your control. You just have to find ways to continue to improve and get better and uh, make sure you're just as ready as you can be for when your season does start. And, uh, you know, I think it did a good job of that. And our team did a good job of that. And we came out flying out of the gates. Well, back in uh, the in the fall, you you actually got into four games with the Sherwood Park Crusaders, had five points there, uh, and then that was shut down as well. So it wasn't until the WHL came back and the Central Division started things off at the end of February. You only played twelve games, but twenty four points. Um, nobody had more points per game than you did in the WHL this year. I have to think you're pretty happy with those twelve games. Yeah, I think they went really well. Uh... You know, our main focus as a team was just to continue to build off where we left off last year. And that was kind of the same thing for me. I had a good rookie season. I just wanted to build off that and continue to, uh, you know, grow as a player. And uh, we did that. We uh, came out hot. And I think it's a uh, credit to us and just our off-season training. I know that we put a lot of work in over the past, you know, 12 months that it was uh, that we weren't playing just in order for us to be ready for the season. And, uh, you know, that hard work did pay off uh, for our our record this year unfortunately no playoffs no memorial cup all of those things but the oil kings were obviously contenders this year were contenders last year and we know what happened uh and uh you know depending on what happens th- this team could be contenders again next year but that that's got to be tough when when your team is as good as it is uh, and not have playoffs uh, and the opportunity to go to a uh, you know playoff uh, whl playoffs and then a memorial cup that's got to be frustrating yeah, definitely. I think when we got the news, we were kind of all heartbroken. And uh, obviously looking forward to the season just because we were going to have the opportunity to play and get back together as a team. But also, to uh, you know, we wanted a chance to be able to compete in the playoffs and uh, compete for, uh, you know, that, that trophy. And uh, to hear that we weren't able to do that last season was, uh, you know, was disappointing and unfortunate. But 
I know that we're going to come back strong, uh, strong again next year, and we're going to try to push for the same thing. We have the same goals in mind. Now, you did get to go play for Canada down in Texas, came home with a gold medal, uh, seven points in the seven games for yourself down there. The opportunity to uh, be able to showcase uh, or to play in a big showcase event like that in your draft year, huge, obviously, uh, and to, to go down and play and, and perform well and come home with a gold medal, yeah, I don't think you could have scripted it any uh, better than that for yourself, could you? Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, a great tournament. And these are the kind of tournaments that, you know, as a, as a child, you grow up watching. And, uh, you know, someday your goal is to try to be a part of them and to be a part of that team and uh, to go down there and participate in the tournament. And then win it all was just, uh, you know, really couldn't have wrote it up any better. So I had a great time down there. And, uh, you know, it's always fun to win gold, which is our which was our goal, obviously, going down there. And, uh, you know, to do that was a great feeling and something I'll never forget. Dylan Gunther is my guest. He's a forward with the Edmonton Oil Kings in the Western Hockey League. Uh, Dylan, my audience is uh, not just in the local area here, so there'll be people listening to this, probably just casual NHL fans who don't watch the WHL or junior hockey at all. Uh, but maybe their favorite NHL team will draft you. Uh, so they'll be going back and listening to interviews and things like that, trying to find out information. So for those uh, those listeners right now, let's uh, maybe let's get some background. And uh, I know the answer to a lot of these, but let's start at the beginning. Where are you from? Yeah, from Edmonton, Alberta, and uh, you know, born and raised here, and I have the opportunity to play junior in my home in my hometown. Have you always been a forward, Dylan? Did you ever try the blue line? I have. Yeah, I've always been forward. When you were a little kid, I know a lot of the players have said, you know, maybe in uh, in squirts or Adam or whatever, the coach will get all the players to take their turn in net. Uh, ever have a chance where you were in that and wearing the pads? Yeah, I do remember one time, uh, you know, I, I really wanted to be a goalie and uh, I thought it was such a fun position. And I ended up playing goalie against the best team when I did get the chance in, and I think I let 10 goals in and, <laughs> you know, never again I wanted to do that. So, uh Credit to all the goalies out there who are able to, uh, you know, get that net battle. But uh, that position just wasn't for me. Yeah, you, you can tell that right away. Eh? Ten goals against, probably not the not the right fit for you. The Bantam draft your year. Um, now, I know a lot of the guys were in Philadelphia at a tournament. I think you were one of them, correct? I was, yes. Yeah. Uh, obviously, you didn't have to wait very long. You were the first player taken in the Bantam draft that year, uh, which was, uh, I want to go back, 2018 was that year. Now, being an Edmonton kid, the Oil Kings had the first pick. Did you have a sense, or were you hoping that it would be the Oil Kings, or were you one of those guys who wanted to have the experience of moving away and, and playing, I don't know, in Kelowna or something like that? Yeah, no, I didn't know. I really had no idea heading in. And, you know, I, I really didn't want to play for the Oil Kings. And, uh, I, I mean, I grew up watching the Oil Kings, and they were a really good team, uh, you know, all throughout my childhood. And I remember watching those games, and, I wanted to be that someday, and uh, to get the opportunity when I got drafted for them, I knew that, that was a huge opportunity to me to just, uh, you know, uh, give back to the community that way, I guess, and uh, just how, uh, you know, some other high-end players who came out of that organization did when I was younger. So to get the chance to, uh, you know, get drafted to my hometown team was just a dream come true. Now, you did play eight games in your uh, pre-rookie season, four points in those eight games, so a nice little uh, dip your toe in the pool, kind of test the waters there. But uh, how, how important was that for the next season in your first full rookie year where you had you were a point-per-game guy that year? Does any of it stem from that eight-game uh, you know, test drive? Yeah, no, I think it was huge. I think, uh, you know, going on kind of 
dipping my toes in the water and getting used to the pace of play and just seeing how much, uh, you know, faster and stronger the guys are and uh, just how, how much faster the game is. And I think that was uh, crucial. And also just to build some relationships with some of the players on the team who I'm going to be playing with in the future is it allows me to just be more comfortable in that environment and that setting and uh, also build some chemistry for on ice play too. When you're a, a first overall pick like that, I, I would have to think there's some pressure that you might feel. In fact, you know, obviously the organization invested a first overall pick in you, so there's going to be expectations from them. The fans are going to expect that you're going to be a, a, you know, an outstanding impact player. Uh, but uh, you know, a lot of players will tell me nobody puts more pressure on them than themselves. Is that the case for you too? Yeah, I think uh, I don't really feel the outside pressure. I kind of just see it as opportunity. And, uh, you know, I have the opportunity to play uh, in front of my family and friends uh, pretty much every single game. So that's pretty cool. And that's not something that, uh, you know, every kid can say that they have. So I'm definitely thankful for that. And, yeah, I think, you know, I'm hard on myself. I'm a competitive guy and I want to do the best that I can. And I think just internally that's something that pushes me to, uh, to just be better every single day. 59 points that rookie season in 58 games, and, and a lot of people won't realize, but 16-year-olds breaking into the league don't start on the top line or on the number one power play all the time. And, and that was the case with you. You didn't. Uh, and But I think by Christmas, you were probably on that top line. Give me a sense of what it was like breaking in into the league, uh, being a depth guy on the, on the roster, but slowly working your way up and, and how long it took you to it obviously didn't take long to get comfortable and start making an impact, but how'd you make that transition? Yeah, I mean, it is difficult coming into the league at 16 just because you're playing against much bigger and stronger guys, and the pace is just so much faster. And, uh, you know, it did kind of take me a little while to work my way onto, uh, you know, the top six where I would uh, be able to get a little more ice time and a little more opportunity. But, uh, yeah, I know I played on the fourth line for probably 15 games, and you know, when you're in that moment, it's not somewhere you want to be. But I think looking back on it, it's good that I got to, uh, you know, experience that and kind of work my way around that uh, type of adversity just in case it was to happen later on in my career, too. Uh, what about the coaching staff in Edmonton? How have they helped you become a, a better player uh, in your tenure here with the Oil Kings? Yeah, I think a ton, a ton of credit to them. I mean, they helped me, uh, you know, so much during the year uh, with what I need to work on. And a big thing that we do is just watching video and watching video on my gameplay and maybe uh, comparing it to some other guys who, uh, you know, play in the NHL and looking at their tendencies and what they tend to do and just trying to implement that into my game, which is something that's helped me a ton uh, over the past two or three seasons. Here. Well, interesting. I was going to ask you something like that later on, but since you brought it up, who are those NHL guys that they're showing you how they play and, and trying to use them as comparables for you? Who are, who are some of those guys? Yeah, I think we, we do cover video on a, a couple different things so as far as positional play i think guys like kyle connor is the big one who we watched a lot of video on and uh i think he's just such a good skater and able to create so much so much uh so many opportunities for himself and his line mates in the game so he's a guy that we watch and then uh i think just some shooting techniques and uh tendencies that guys like austin matthews and david pasternak use uh my video coach and i would go kind of through that uh after practice and then once we got on the ice the next day we would work on it uh, on the ice after practice and i think just uh kind of seeing how they shoot and just trying to implement that into your game just makes you a better player nice uh dylan gunther is my guest uh, forward with the edmonton oil kings 
Uh, let's talk about the draft a little bit, and, and maybe while I have you, let, can you give us a, a self scouting report? How do how do you see yourself as a player? What are your strengths? Yeah, I think for me, I'm a smart hockey player who uses my speed to create chances. Uh, you know, offensively for both myself and my line mates, and uh, you know, I think with my speed and hockey sense, I'm able to create time and space uh, for myself to either get get a shot off or uh, get open and try to create a scoring chance and. I think my shooting uh, has kind of been the strong point of my career thus far and something that I've worked on a ton throughout my childhood and I'm going to continue to work on. And I think that, uh, you know, my game kind of revolves around my shot and just my goal scoring ability. Well, every, I think everybody recognizes you're a shooter. You are definitely a goal scorer. To me, that's the hardest thing to do in hockey is to put the puck in the net. But do you think your playmaking might even be uh, underappreciated or overlooked a little bit because everyone thinks of you first and foremost as a goal scorer? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'm definitely a shot first guy. And if the shot's there, then I'm going to take it. But, uh, you know, other teams do kind of pick up on that and take that away and, and start to take that away. And I think I am good at uh, finding my teammates and putting them in good positions to uh, to score goals and create chances. And, uh, yeah, I think that that's something that I'm also pretty good at. And it just kind of goes along with my offensive play. Was your role different with Canada at the U18s than it is with the Oil Kings? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I think, uh, you know, for me going in that, I wanted to win gold, and I was really willing to do whatever it took to to, to help my team win gold and for us be, to be successful. And, uh, you know, I think I kind of highlight other parts of my game that maybe don't show as much uh, in juniors, such as just my floor checking, uh, my tracking, and penalty kill especially. I don't kill a lot of penalties, uh, you know, as much in junior just because we're pretty deep uh, through that area. But uh, I was pretty, uh, I guess, relied upon on the penalty kill uh, at that tournament there. And I think I did a good job of that. And that's something that I'm pretty proud of. The uh, website, uh, the WHL's website list, you had six one and a half and 181. Uh, that might have been at the start of this little season. I'm not sure how, how close to up to date is that now. Yeah, it's pretty close. I'm probably about 185 pounds. and. Uh, about six, one and a half right now. All right. Has the draft been on your mind much uh, over the last, let's say, 15 months? Maybe now more than uh, while you were playing. But, in, you know, during that long, the big stoppage, were you thinking about the draft and uh, what it means to not be able to play and all of those things? Were you always thinking about it at the, in the back of your head? Yeah, I mean, it's something that you, you can't really think of and you can't let it uh, weigh you down just because... Uh, you know, at that point, it's still a long ways away, and there's still a lot of work to be done leading up to that date. Uh, so that was really my focus, just take it in day in, day out, and just work my hardest and try to get better every day. But I think now, uh, you know, it definitely kind of focuses in a little bit more just because you're getting more attention from, uh, I guess, teams and, uh, I guess, friends and family just kind of talking about it and not playing uh I guess you tend to think about it a little bit more. But I think it's the same thing for me, just... Uh, continue to go to the gym and get stronger every day and uh, make the most out of all my ice sessions and just try to get better. I know some players uh, try to avoid looking at rankings and things like that because they think it could be a distraction. Others tell me they use it as a motivating thing um, to, to inspire them to, you know, climb the rankings. Uh, what about for you, Dylan? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of different opinions out there and, uh, you know, not all of it's going to be stuff that you want to hear and, so that's really something that I try not to look at and not be a part of. Uh, you know, for me, I think just focusing on myself, and focusing on and trying to get better uh, is going to put me in the best position heading into uh, that day. So I think just other people's opinions and uh, kind of what they put out there doesn't bother, bother me a ton. 
Now, Dylan, being an Edmonton guy, does that automatically make you an Oiler fan growing up, or were you cheering for somebody else here behind enemy lines? Yeah, I was always an Oiler fan growing up. Any particular players in the organization that you grew up uh, cheering for? I know, obviously, Connor McDavid's the big draw now in Dreisaitl, but maybe when you were a kid, who were those guys? Yeah, I think uh, those guys still, and even like Jordan Everle and Nugent Hopkins, and they came into the league a little bit earlier, and I was able to watch... uh, you know, all of them play, even Taylor Hall. And, uh, you know, the Oilers are a super exciting team to watch. And, uh, yeah, I know I love watching them play. Pretty cool you get to share a building uh, with them. And I don't know how often you, the Oil Kings and the Oilers uh, cross paths or anything, but just to be in that facility, and, and uh, that's got to be a cool experience. Yeah, I know it is really cool. And sometimes you'll kind of cross paths with them. And, uh, you know, you're a little bit starstruck just because you go home every night and kind of watch them play on TV. And then, the next day you kind of run into them in the building or watch their practice. But, you know, I think we're super fortunate to be able to share a facility with them. And we have a lot of really nice amenities that not a lot of other teams, uh, you know, would be able to get. And also uh, just watching them practice. I think it's super cool to watch them practice and how they go in day in, day out and uh, kind of what you have to do to get to the next level. What happens between now and the draft for you, Dylan? Yeah, I think uh, nothing really changes. I'm in the off season right now, and I'm trying to get stronger and better, uh, and just keep getting better. And that's what I'm going to keep doing. And uh, yeah, I think uh, it, it is a bit different this year just because of the draft coming up. But uh, for me, I'm just taking it one day at a time and just looking to uh, focus on myself. All right. Well, I appreciate you making the time. I know you're really busy. We got interrupted halfway through this because an NHL team was calling you. Uh, so I appreciate you you being flexible and making some time for me, man. Uh, good luck at the draft, and uh, we'll see you in the fall if you're back with the Oil Kings. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. That was uh, Dylan Gunther from the Edmonton Oil Kings. And um, it was funny. You, The audience doesn't know because I get to edit the uh, – the interviews and stuff like that, but uh, halfway through that conversation, his phone rings, he excuses himself for a second, comes back and says, yeah, I had to take that call. It was uh, an NHL team calling me, and just uh, they wanted to double check I was available for our Skype inter- or Zoom interview uh, tomorrow. So just It's that time of year where the, uh, the, the high-end guys are in high demand, uh, even from the NHL teams, let alone all the media requests that, uh, that they'll be doing these days Uh, that was dylan gunther and he is in demand every ranking pretty much out there has him as a top 10 guy you go to elite prospects uh, draft center page and uh, pull up his profile and you can see elite's got him at eight fc hockey's got him at eight neutral zone has him at eight mckean's has him at seven central scouting has him as fifth in north america sportsnet has him fifth recruit scouting has him 10th dauber only has him at 12 that's the lowest here uh, Draft Prospects Hockey it has him at 5, and Smart Hockey has him at 8, Puck Authority at 12. Of course, Bob McKenzie had him uh, number 2 overall on his list. This top 10 is going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. Dylan Gunther right in the mix there of as uh, a member of the Edmonton Oil Kings. And he alluded to it, next year this team should be contending again, depending, I said, depending on who comes back. And the way he talked about it, he thinks he's back in the WHL. Listen, I'm not going to hold it against the guy if he was going to say, you know, if I'm back, and maybe that's just being, you know, professional in his uh, in his language, the way he's saying it, not looking too far ahead. And, you know, if uh, he's going to be doing his best to crack whatever lineup um, of the roster of the team that, uh, that drafts him. But realistically, uh, considering 
most guys only played a handful of games or, you know, 20, 25, 30 games this year. I think more more players than usual will be sent back to junior or um, back to, um, and I was going to say college, but the college guys obviously don't sign anyway uh, right away. So, um, but a guy like Owen Power has already said he's probably going back. And there's That makes a lot of sense. I think this year even more so than uh, in most years. Dylan Gunther, though, heck of a player. And uh, just, he, he, as you mentioned, broke into the league playing on the fourth line probably a month and a half, maybe. And he was in the top six. That's just the way it worked out. Credit to Brad Lauer uh, and the coaching staff uh, with the Edmonton Oil Kings for bringing him into the league uh, the correct way, not necessarily just throwing him uh, on the top line right away because he's the first overall pick. Uh, he's not getting, you know, all the, the opportunities. Got to earn your stripes. Uh, and it didn't take him very long to earn those stripes. All right, up next, uh, we're going to chat about some OHL prospects uh, that are uh, eligible for the 2021 NHL draft. And that's got to be a tough job this year. Well, Brock Otten does that job for McKean's Hockey. Let's talk to him about uh, half a dozen players out of the OHL or OHL guys. Most of them went overseas to, to find some playing time. But we'll get to know some of these players through the eyes of a scout. That would be Brock Otten from McKean's. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Johnson stripped by Delandria, backhander, he scores! Short-headed goal for the rookie, Ty Delandria. It's 1-0 Flint. Hey, it's Ty Delandria from the Flint Firebirds, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Some people like to make all the rules and tell others what to do. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Uh, he fights like an old lady. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show, and after a couple of uh, 2021 draft spotlights, uh, we're going to change it up a little bit and uh, talk to a scout. Uh, of course, the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky available in Alberta. And in fact, I would say, hey, it's uh, available anywhere in Western Canada, but you have to get it from their two locations in Alberta, in Spruce Grove or Leduc. Uh, but go out of your way and uh, give them a call. They'll ship it to you, and uh, it is well worth the effort. All right, the scout I'm going to talk to is uh, Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey. Brock, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing uh, terrific. Uh, I have to imagine the last, uh, well, scouting for this draft this year with a guy uh, who specializes in uh, the Ontario Hockey League, uh, I'd have to think it was a bit of a challenge for you this year. I think the word that would best describe it would be tedious. Hmm. Uh, you know, it definitely wasn't the ideal situation for scouting the Ontario Hockey League this year. Uh, you know, having to comb over video from their U16 seasons as rookies where, you know, playing time is just so inconsistent for, for players. Some guys play five minutes a, a game, uh, you know, and they're rotating in and out of the lineup with scratches. Some of the main players are, are playing a little bit more, but... You know, thankfully, we did get a chance to see some of the higher end guys at the under 18s this year, and a few other guys, you know, went overseas or there was the Erie tournament. So there was a few uh, opportunities to see some updated uh, viewings of these players, but uh, it definitely was a very difficult year to to scout Ontario. Well, there's half a dozen, or actually seven guys we're going to chat about, so I don't want to take too long before we get into them because there's lots to cover. But you mentioned the the event in Erie. Uh, that was organized by a bunch of players, and I know there were some uh, draft-eligible guys there, a lot of players who were just trying to get some exposure whatsoever, maybe to earn pro contract or something like that. But 
uh, of what you saw, what was it like? The the quality of the play was fairly good. Um, you know, it was probably a little bit better than than I anticipated. Uh, I think it did sort of trail off towards the end of the event. Uh, I think the the physicality component definitely trailed off a bit. I think there was definitely a bit of fatigue. These guys were playing three games in three day sets uh, mm. over the course of the two week tournament. So I think it definitely took a toll on them by the end. But I think, you know, it, it did give us an indication of some of the improvements and some of the progression that some of these players uh, have made going into this draft year, especially when you look at uh, some of the guys that are going to be targeted in that third, fourth, fifth round range. Uh, I think a lot of them did themselves uh, a favor by playing in that tournament for sure. And it, you know, kudos to the, the guys that pulled that off yeah. uh, because obviously there's a lot that goes into running something like that. Yeah. And, and might I add without having a positive COVID case, which definitely shows you that next season, the CHL should be able to run, you know, as, per normal with with these guys being able to pull it off i would have to think so I, the whl's already got their schedule set now and uh, they announced the start dates i know uh, the ohl i believe has announced their schedule too for next year have they not maybe not the actual game schedule but the start and end dates as of yesterday no but oh. it, there was rumors it was going to come out by the end of this week so i haven't uh, had an opportunity to check today so you could be right on that all right, fair enough. Uh, Brock Otten from McKean's is my guest. Let's get to the guys we're going to chat about today. And uh, for this, I'm going off the the most up-to-date and publicized uh, ranking from McKean's, which, uh, as you were just telling me a couple of moments ago, there's going to be another one coming out here uh, rather shortly, isn't there? Yes, uh, the final rankings are, are set. The draft guide is aiming to be uh, published by the end of the month, if not the beginning of July. And our final ranking will be released to the public uh, sometime next week, we're thinking, uh, maybe even later this week, depending on how our, our graphics department can put something together. All right. Well, uh, for this conversation, I'm going off of the current list uh, from McKean's <laughs> and uh, the OHL guys that we're chatting about. We'll start at the top, and that would be Brant Clark, defenseman, who uh, McKean's has listed as uh, eighth overall uh, for the draft this year. I, I, every time I talk to somebody about uh, Brant Clark, I always start by saying I had him on the show and I really enjoyed the conversation. Just the personality uh, came out and, uh, you know, then getting to see him play. Uh, I, I, I'm a big fan of Brant Clark, but uh, you're the scout. Tell me why you like him that much. The highlight for Clark is definitely how he processes the game. He has to be considered uh, one of the smartest players, if not the smartest player available this year in the draft. This is a kid that just processes the game so well. Uh, I think, especially at the offensive end, um, there are some concerns about how uh, how high the ceiling is as a, as a defensive player, but offensively, there are no concerns. Uh, this is a kid that can quarterback the power play uh, with the best of any in this class. His vision, anticipation, awareness, just how he reads the play, how he he sees the ice is almost unrivaled um, among defenders this year. Um, and I think that was on display at the under 18s. He just rarely makes a mistake with the puck. And that's despite playing a rather aggressive style. Uh, this is not somebody who's just content to sit back and let the play unfold around him. He's somebody who wants to dictate pace. So he wants to dictate the play. He wants the puck on his stick. And the fact that he's able to secure it and, and limit those turnovers as an offensive defender, I think really speaks volumes as to, you know, how well he's processing and how high that IQ is. Um, like you said, he's just a, a really good kid that 
I think has progressed a lot this year playing in Slovakia in the men's league. I think it did a lot for him. Uh, I think he struggled initially over there, but really adjusted well. Um, I think defensively, there are some things that are very correctable. I, I think that as he gains experience and gets a little stronger, I think we're going to see him really develop into a, a strong two-way defender, excuse me, and not just somebody who's counted on to be a power play quarterback or you know has their minutes sheltered in terms of offensive zone starts. This is going to be a, a very well-rounded uh, NHL defender. Um, the main concern uh, is the skating. Uh, you know, it, it's not terrible. He's he's a pretty strong linear skater. Um, moving north south, you know, he builds up speed well, but he does have that sort of knock need mechanics going on, and that can be a little bit difficult to to correct from some of the skating coaches and, and scouts that I've talked to that really specialize on skating, and that sort of limits some of that lateral uh, mobility, limits his explosiveness to a certain degree. So. Yeah, that, that is going to be a bit of a concern moving forward. It's something he's going to have to work on. Um, but, you know, we're seeing so, like with Adam Fox right now in the NHL, right? Here's another guy that his skating was billed as a bit of a concern in his original draft year. It's why he slid down the charts a little bit. Uh, and, you know, now we're seeing him nominated for a Norris Trophy. And he's yeah. still not uh, one of the top skating defenders in the NHL. But just how smart he is and how he can control the play uh, is sort of where we would project Clark to be in the future. Clark, member of the Barry Colts, but as you mentioned, had to go to Slovakia to find ice time this year and then played for Canada down in uh, Texas. All right, let's move to the next guy as it was a great rundown on on Brian Clark. Mason McTavish, I, I thought he probably was the breakout guy in uh, Texas for Canada, the guy who exceeded expectations, uh, in my opinion, more than anybody else. And uh, you, you guys have him ranked. Uh, pretty high right now as well, and I wouldn't be surprised. When when did your uh, this the ranking that we're going off of, uh, where you have him uh, 16th? When did that one come out? Before the under 18. Ah, so I'm guessing his 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 stock probably went up. Correct. Yeah. You're you're predicting the future. <laughs> All right. Well, tell me about Mason McTavish, uh, and uh, you know, if did he surprise you at the U18 like he did me? I expected a good tournament from him, but I didn't think he was going to be a standout like that. You know what? Uh, Mason McTavish was a guy that I was definitely a little bit lower on in comparison to my peers in Ontario heading into the season. I, I had concerns. I, I thought that his skating was only average, and I thought that there were some limitations there. I thought that you know, uh, he didn't maybe play or use his size to his advantage the way that he could. I thought there was some you know, some issues with turnovers in the offensive end and, and him playing a bit more of a perimeter game than, than I would have liked. Um, but in all honesty, I, I think he's, he's corrected all of those, uh, now. And I really think that he's a player that has a chance to even get drafted higher than Clark, in my opinion, uh, because he is that prototypical power center that all NHL teams seem to be looking for these days. And I think he proved that, uh, in Texas at the under 18s, he was just a dominating force and at both ends of the ice, right? We're not talking about just a strictly offensive player. This is somebody who Canada used in all situations in Texas. He anchored the penalty killing unit. He was a part of the top power play unit. This is a guy that was just uh, never seen to leave the ice, quite frankly. And you know, with his size, his power, his skill, this is somebody who projects as an all situations, extremely dependable uh, center at the NHL level and a guy that is probably going to be a strong playoff performer in the future as well. And maybe he could wear a letter 
uh, I can't say enough positive things about McTavish. Uh, he, his, his shot is obviously the bread and butter here. This is a, a shoot first kind of center who, uh, his release and his wrist shot are among the best in this draft class. Uh, and that's going to carry over to the NHL, especially in terms of where he scores his goals too. We're not talking about a perimeter player. This is a guy that drives the middle of the ice and the puck is on and off his stick in an instant. And with his power and skill combination, he just proved to be too much for a lot of defenders at the under-18s. And I think as he continues to fill out and as he continues to get stronger and gain more confidence in his ability to dominate physically, I think he's only going to improve further. And uh, I think this is a guy that's going to be extremely highly coveted come NHL draft day. I only saw him play at the at the U18, so I didn't see any of his uh, stuff where he was overseas playing for uh, Olten in, in the Swiss League or or any of his time last year. I get the sense there's a bit of Ryan O'Reilly sort of feel uh, and maybe projection for him. Is that, am I off the mark on that? No, and I think that's that's one that is sort of a natural comparison. I, I do think Mason is more of a shoot-first type of center compared to Ryan, who's always had that uh, playmaking ability first and foremost. Um, but in, in terms of other areas, I think you nailed it with the prog- uh, projection of being the type of player that can play in any situations at the NHL level, who can be a future captain, um, who can be just a really dependable and consistent player. And that's going to be McTavish uh, at the next level. And you mentioned in him playing in Switzerland, and he was pretty much an impact player as soon as he arrived there as well. It took him very little time to adjust. So it wasn't just the U18s. He was able to to showcase his abilities and his progression in Switzerland to scouts too. So they have you know a pretty good or pretty um, pretty large amount of film to to work with when it comes to him. Brock Otten is my guest. He's a, a scout with uh, McKean's, and we're chatting about some of the uh, the guys eligible for the draft uh, next month uh, who are OHL property that didn't necessarily play in the OHL. Well, none of them played in the OHL uh, this past season for obvious reasons. Uh, let's go to the next guy is uh, Francesco Pinelli. Uh, great name. I love saying the name. I always feel like I have to say it, Francesco Pinelli, but uh, I'll, I'll leave the accent behind. He plays for the Kitchener Rangers, although this year, another guy who went to Europe, he actually played in Slovenia and uh, and had was almost a point-per-game guy there. Uh, not many games, though, only 13 games, but in 11 points in seven games for Canada once again uh, with the gold medal. Uh, tell me about Pinelli and what you saw from him as a Kitchener Ranger last year and uh, what what kind of an impression, maybe the growth that you saw in his game this year? So Pinelli is a guy that uh, I've been impressed with even since going back to his minor hockey days. I remember watching him at the OHL Cup and just thinking this is a guy that you know has a lot of potential, not just at the OHL level, but at the NHL level. Um, and he's just a very, very well-rounded player. In terms of you know his skill set, there really isn't anything that jumps out to you that says, it's below average or even average. I think when you look across the board, you know, he's a very intelligent player. He's a a very high end goal scorer. He has an excellent wrist shot, very good scoring instincts. He's a highly competitive player who really likes to, to get his nose dirty in the corners and, and tends to come away with the majority of those 50, 50 battles and Mm. is great in puck pursuit and on the forecheck. He's a very strong two way player. Um, you know, he has excellent vision with the puck. It's very rare to see him turn it over in the offensive end. Really, the only thing we're looking at as a negative here is, is the skating. 
he's he's strong linear he he moves well north south so he can build up speed and he can play in transition and he can sort of back down defenders but there isn't sort of that dynamic quality to his skating he doesn't change direction well while at full speed and you know his his startups are are not terrific so there is that component that does require some improvement um but i do think that improvement can come uh, and i think that he does so many other things well that I, I think projecting him as an NHL player is, is very easy. And whether that's as a, a third-line NHL center in the future or a middle six player or even a, as a top-line player, I think that when you're dealing with somebody who thinks the game extremely well, I always find it difficult to put a cap on sort of that ceiling, right? Because the skill and the skating and all that stuff can be improved, but how well somebody processes the game like Pinelli, for instance, right. uh, that's innate, right? That's something that, that doesn't necessarily get taught. Yes. There's not understanding of systems and things like that, but uh, Pinelli has that innate quality to him uh, in terms of how he sees the ice. And uh, I do think that as he matures physically, I think the rest of his game will really come around. And, you know, he's a player that I, I know a lot of people are high on. And again, it's just going to be about finding him the right skating coach and, and really making sure that the, those adjustments are made. I agree completely with you. It's that the, the, the hockey IQ, if you want to call it that, bit of a uh, stereotype, but that that um, those instincts, they're, they're, you either have the natural instincts or you don't. But things like skating, man, Jared Stoll wasn't a good skater in junior hockey. Uh, carved out a lengthy NHL career. Heck, Mark, Mark Stone was criticized for his skating. He was a terrible skater, seventh-round pick. He, I think skating is the one trait you can probably improve and work on the most. Would you agree? Yeah, 100%. I think it definitely depends on what the issue is. Um, you know, from talking to, to people who who are skating coaches and who do a really good job evaluating skating, uh, you know, I'll throw out a name. Uh, we have a guy working for us in McKean's now who, named Josh Mallory. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff, but he's really fantastic. And he's especially fantastic at breaking down skating. Mm. And he did uh, an article on Pinelli earlier this year that really looked at the mechanics of his stride. He, he believes that his skating deficiencies can be fixed rather easily. It's a lot about his, um, you know, he talks about how his upper body isn't very quiet and it's very loud is, is the way that he described it. So there's a lot of unnecessary movement that are, that is preventing Pinelli from building the type of speed and the type of explosiveness that he needs to, uh, to progress. And, um, that is something that I definitely think can be worked on too, by adding strength to the lower body, right? As you build up strength there, you should be able to build up a little bit more explosiveness. And, uh, you know, just in terms of improving footwork too, with, with that lateral movement and adding that dynamic quality, uh, I think that a guy like Pinelli can definitely, uh, improve And you mentioned some other former players and I'll throw another name at you too. Uh, and that's a former kitchen arranger is Mike Richards. There's another guy who was yeah. drafted with some skating concerns and actually similar skating concerns to Pinelli, you know, not being able to, to move dynamically left, right, east, west, not having that explosive first step. But there's a guy who had a very successful NHL career, rather short, obviously, unfortunately, because some things happened towards the end of his career. But, you know, this is a, a cup winner and a guy that was uh, one of the top two-way centers for, for a, a good five-year stretch, I would say, in the NHL. Excellent. Let's go to the uh, the next player is Brennan Othman, who was just on the show, I think it was last week, or if not the week before. Uh, another guy who played overseas, 
for that same team in Switzerland as uh, McTavish played for, but uh, he played there almost the entire season. Uh, Othman, you had number 32, so last pick of the first round. His performance at the U18, did that help him? Did that boost his stock, or did it change much? 100% helped him. I think the big thing with Othman is that at the under-18s, I think he was able to prove that he can play uh, at a high pace, and he can play with highly skilled players. Uh, I think that there was a bit of a difficult time for scouts projecting sort of that high-end upside with him previously, uh, before the under-18s. He's sort of that throwback player, right? He, he's a very physical winger. He's got a big shot, uh, not the most dynamic skater in the world. Uh, he's skilled, but he's not the highest skilled guy on your team. Um, so there was some concerns as to, you know, where is this guy going to play in an NHL lineup? Is he a middle six guy? Is he more of a, you know, a bottom six guy? Uh, where is he going to play? And I think at the under 18 slotting beside Shane Wright and Dylan Gunther on that first line, I think he was able to prove that, you know, I'm, I'm a guy that's going to play in your top six. I can bring it physically. Uh, I can score goals. I think he showed that his playmaking ability is, is a little bit better and maybe, we underrated that component to his game. Um, I think that there's a lot of potential for him to develop as a strong two-way player too, and just a, a really solid all-around uh, contributor. And I think that he was also put in a really good position at the under-18s as well, because he and Shane Wright were line mates in minor hockey with, with the Don Mills Flyers. So mm. jumping onto that line just felt, at least it looked completely natural to him. And I think as the tournament went on, we really saw him blossom. I think his best games were in the medal round. And I think that's sort of what you want to see in a tournament like that. Uh, not sort of stagnant production, and, uh, but more so building upon those performances. And I think even at the gold, in the gold medal game, I thought he was one of Canada's best players. And uh, he'll be moving up our final list uh, for sure. Excellent. That was uh, Brennan Othman. I liked what you said about the way he was able to fit in on a on a loaded line. It's not like he's riding anyone's coattails. I think that speaks a lot to uh, a player's uh, adaptability if he can play with star players. You look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, not everybody has success playing with Sidney Crosby, right? So uh, I think a guy who can show that he has the ability to adapt and play with this, those those high-caliber star players, there's that's, an, uh, that's a trait. That, there's value in that too, isn't there? 100%. That is a skill on its own. Uh, being able to, to be successful without dominating puck touches, right? right there are right. some players who, who need the puck on their stick. They need to get touches early in a shift in order to be really dialed in and focused, right? Um, and those are the types of players that struggle playing with your Crosby's, your McDavid's, you're Shane Wrights, right? This is a player that's going to be probably first overall pick this year, probably a superstar at the NHL level. And Offman's been able to, to find success through minor hockey playing with him, now at the under-18s playing with him. And I think that shows a lot to scouts that he can slot in there and be uh, a low-maintenance kind of guy. Productive, but you know, not somebody who you know, constantly needs the puck on his stick to, to be successful. All right, there's a couple other players that I wanted to get to, uh, guys that uh, you sort of said they're personal favorites of yours, guys who probably aren't going to be first-round picks. Maybe they're not even second-round picks, but you can tell me if that's uh, that's crazy to say or not. Uh, let's start with Ty Voigt, who I believe was in Erie at that event that you were watching. Um, tell me about this guy, because I know on paper he's he's not a big guy, but there's big numbers. No, he's he's not a big guy, and that's sort of going to be the, the first strike against him among NHL scouts. Um, 
you know, he also isn't the strongest guy. Uh, he does get pushed off the puck sometimes too easily in the offensive end. Um, but in terms of individual creativity, skill level, passing ability, in terms of being a playmaker, I really do think that Ty Voigt is among the best in this class uh, from the OHL. And that includes all players. If you watch him play, he he's just so good with, with the puck. And I think that the upside is extremely high here uh, as he sort of fills out and as, you know, his game starts to evolve and, and build confidence. Uh, you know, I do think that there are some things that needs to need to be worked on. I think that scouts are going to look at his skating and probably hope that he can develop a little bit more speed. Uh, I think that he's more shifty, more strong agility wise than he is fast. If that makes sense. Uh, if you're looking at like a comparison, think of maybe how people would have spoken about Cole Perfetti last year, right? Not fast, but uh, strong east-west. And that's sort of Ty Voigt. He's very elusive in the offensive end. He's got very quick feet. And I just think that his passing ability and his, his vision is, is so high end. And I think it'd be very easy to see him being the kind of guy that gets drafted in the third, fourth, fifth round. And then in, you know, four or five years from now, we say, you know, why didn't this guy, you know, why wasn't he a first round pick? Mm. Right. And, and obviously the answer is going to be, well, there just wasn't the type of, you know, uh, views on him uh, in terms of how he progresses here because of the pandemic. But if the OHL season had played, he would have been starting his first line center. He would have played with Jacob Perot, uh, Anaheim's first rounder. And the two of them probably would have had a really strong season. And we probably would have been talking about Voight uh, as a potential top 50 selection instead of, you know, us discussing him as a potential top 150 selection, right? So I think that when you're drafting in the middle round, especially now, you're trying to look for guys who have that high upside. And I think among the guys that are slated in that range, Ty Voight definitely has the highest upside. Makes me think of last year the Edmonton Oilers selected uh, Tyler Tulio, who's not a big guy, but big numbers, a smaller player. I think he was a fifth-round pick. Uh, maybe in that sort of category as well? Yeah, he, he's definitely a little bit different player than Tulio. Tulio, um, you know, was was an interesting selection because he doesn't play to his size. He, he's got a really good finishing ability, and he, he's rather, rather fearless on the ice, whereas Voigt is more of a, a hands guy. He, he definitely is more a little, a little more creative in the offensive end, can create that space for himself and create that space for his line mates by drawing in those double teams and those second defenders because uh, he's just so slippery and, and elusive. And I think that they're a little bit different players, but definitely the comparison in terms of you know, being a, a mid to later round pick who, who I think is a good selection. I think the Oilers got a good one in Ty Tulio too. All right, uh, let's go to Ryan Winterton, uh, plays for the Hamilton Bulldogs, although this year didn't play at all until uh, the World U18. He had four points in the tournament uh, for Canada in that one, but uh, a big, big-ish forward, six foot two and 190 pounds, the last uh, the the sheet that I'm looking at. Uh, what do you like about Ryan Winterton? So it goes back to last year. I think Winterton was one of the U16 players who progressed the most over the course of the shortened OHL season. I think when you look at how he played at the beginning of the year with Hamilton and how he finished the year, I think he was really on an upward trajectory. And I think that's, that's the first thing that I really like. The second thing is 
you know, watching his games at the under 18s this year, I think he's improved his skating considerably. I think that he was definitely maybe even an average to below average skater as a, as a rookie last year in Hamilton. But this year uh, at the under 18s, I thought uh, it was sort of night and day. I think it's very obvious that he has spent some time adding some speed and power to his stride. And it made him a, a much more effective player without the puck um, because he was able to, to use that size a little more effectively in terms of puck pursuit and, and, and forechecking ability, especially. Uh, I thought he was one of Canada's strongest players in transition because of that. And, you know, when you look at his profile, it's, it's a little bit similar to a guy like Pinelli's. Um, you know, he's, he's a very well-rounded player. I think he, he showed that at the under teens by, by being a penalty killer and, and being a guy that was asked to play more of a depth role, but still standing out, you know, in sort of more limited ice time. And uh, I think moving forward, I think there is definitely an opportunity for him to develop into a really strong middle six forward. I think he's uh, got a lot of potential as a goal scorer. I think he's got a really good shot. I think he's got really good scoring instincts. And I think he's got really good hands and tight. And I think the combination of those three things could definitely make him uh, a really good goal scorer moving forward. And I'm really curious to see how his game progresses because I think it has already improved a lot. And I think that when you look at what you said, him having some size and, and making those improvements already, um, I definitely think it's going to be intriguing to NHL scouts. And I think this is a guy that probably slots in in that sort of 50 to 80 range of the draft. But it wouldn't shock me either way, um, you know, of fitting into that sort of range. This is a guy who was uh, he was a top ten pick in the OHL priority selection, but playing on a team in Hamilton, uh, you know, a year and a half ago that had Arthur Kaliev and Yan Yannick and and uh, uh, who else was there? Uh, um, Yan Mishak was there as well. Tag Bertuzzi. So th- yep. they had a lot of depth. So a guy who comes in as a rookie is probably playing further down the depth chart than he would have with most teams. Exactly. And I mean, I mean, you know, the CHL game quite well. And when a team has that kind of talent, the first power play unit is out for almost the entire two minutes. Right. So a guy like Winterton, he's not seeing any power play time. And uh, unless it's you know a throwaway game, it's 8-2 and they get a power play in the third period and they want to get some of the lower guys some experience. Right. But otherwise, he's not seeing it regularly. And he was pushed down the lineup. But as the season progressed, he really did move up they started to give him more ice time and he really flourished with it and uh, I think that again that's one thing that I really look for in under 16 players in that rookie season is you know how do they finish the season some of them tend to hit a wall and there's that sort of flat line uh, as the season goes on maybe it's a physical thing maybe it's a confidence thing Uh, whereas others really build and usually those that build are the ones that really break out in their NHL draft year. And I think that Winterton would have definitely done that. All right, Brock, let's end it with uh, the last guy we're going to chat about. And uh, the way I framed this was, give me a player you like, but probably not as much as most people do, and a guy who's going to get drafted before you would select him uh, on draft day. Uh, Maybe you liked him a lot more earlier in the season than you do now. Somebody like that. And the name you came up was uh, Daniel Cheka, the uh, Russian defenseman that is property of the Guelph Storm, uh, obviously played in Russia this past season, and we saw him at the World U18 as well. Uh, tell me about Cheka and, and what your concerns are. So I'll preface it by saying that I do like Cheka. Uh, I've liked him going back to his minor hockey days. Uh, I remember seeing him at the OHL Cup playing with the Toronto Junior Canadians, and he was just fantastic at that event. Uh, he, he was flat-out dominant. 
And I thought, man, this is this is a, a guy that is going to develop into a, a premier OHL defenseman and a premier NHL draft prospect. I guess my problem is that as a late-born O2, you know, even watching some tape in Russia and seeing him at, at the uh, World Junior Championships, he, he didn't play at the U18s because he's in a uh, late O2, so he played at the World Junior Championships. Right, right. Probably, right. Thank that's you. probably what you meant, I imagine. Yeah. Um, I just don't know if I see the progression in his game. When I think back to seeing him at that OHL Cup and I think back to seeing him as an OHL rookie when he, he was on a really strong Guelph Storm team, um, that he, you know, he didn't see a ton of ice time, but, you know, last year uh, he did have a, a much stronger year. I, I just don't know if he's really progressed a lot. I kind of see the same player and that's not necessarily a bad thing because he is a good player. He's a very well-rounded defenseman. There's not a lot of holes in his game. But at the same time, as a late O2, you definitely want to see some improvement. And, and you probably want to see a lot of improvement in that draft year, you know, being 18 now. Um, and I just don't know if we saw it. And that's, I'm not even taking into account the, the World Juniors where he, uh, he really struggled. Uh, he was not good at that event. And I think we have to throw that away because not a lot of kids do come in, especially Russian players, right? They, they really tend to favor some of the 19 year olds at that event. Right. Um, but, uh, just watching some of his KHL and MHL footage this year and, you know, looking at how he played last year with Guelph, uh, I do have some concerns as to how his offensive game translates. I, I think he's very rigid, uh, at the, in the offensive end. Uh, and I don't think that he's a natural power play quarterback. I think that five on five, he's going to be able to produce a little bit because he moves the puck well. I think he takes care of the puck really well on his own end as well. He makes a really clean exit pass, and he, he has good vision up the ice. And he does have a good point shot. He's got a big cannon, and he does well to jump up into the play. But I just don't know if the puck skills are extremely high. And I, I do think that there are some limitations to his mobility uh, in terms of possessing sort of that dynamic edge work that you see from, you know, that elite level power play quarterback, like a Kale McCarr or Quinn Hughes, right? Uh, I, if you're drafting a player or a defender in the first round, you know, I'm looking for somebody who's probably got a little more upside because to me, Cheka is probably at his best, a number four, probably more likely, you know, a reliable third pairing guy who can, you know, fill in on the power play when needed, you know, play on the secondary penalty killing unit and, and eat up, you know, about 15 minutes a game. But again, I'm drafting in the first round. I want somebody who, you know, has the upside to, to be a, a top three defender. And I just don't see that in, in Cheka at, at this current time. And I think that he's definitely going to be a first round pick. Uh, when you look at the fact that he does have some size and he does not have a lot of weaknesses, uh, I think that's definitely going to make him a first rounder and it's pretty rare to see him outside of the first round on any draft list out there. Um, but uh, for me, he, he would be. All right. Well, we'll see where he ends up on the, uh, the final ranking for McKean's, which as you said, Brock, you're expecting uh, published available for the public. Uh, what next week you think? Either later this week or next week. We're just kind of waiting on our uh, our graphics department to put something together and, and make it look nice before we release it. All right, that'll be at McKean's. And what else do you have uh, happening at ohlprospects.blogspot.com? I see a nice uh, tournament review from everything in Erie. Yeah, yeah. So I just posted that, uh, everything I saw in Erie, some of the guys who really stood out. 
And then uh, later this month, I'll release my my typical top 50 list for the OHL and uh, the media scout poll uh, I still do. So I'm collecting that right now, hopefully to get that out by sort of mid-July, maybe like a week or two before the draft itself. And uh, yeah, and then just the McKean's draft guide, uh, definitely in my opinion, worth purchasing. If you're not already a McKean subscriber, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a pretty awesome thing to have. Fantastic. As always, Brock, I really appreciate your time. Uh, stay by your phone. I might have to call you again. Yeah, no problem. Anytime. That was uh, Brock Otten from McKean's Hockey, and man, there is an underutilized uh, guest uh, for me, and that's on that's on me. That's my bad. Uh, but I got to get Brock on more often. He is uh, a terrific guest, always brings it with uh, a lot of information and uh, not shy about his opinions. Uh, that's great. Uh, that's uh, that's all you can ask from a guest, and uh, Brock delivers every time that he's on. Unfortunately, that is the last guest for this week. Just wasn't able to get a, a fourth guest for the uh, the show, and uh, I'm working one day less this week. Uh, I got a my my daughter's having a a minor surgical procedure so uh we'll be tied up for uh, uh, one of the days this week uh, so that shortens my work week uh, slightly so i was not able to get a fourth guest uh, but i hope that you enjoyed the guests that i did have on uh, a couple of draft spotlights with uh, two potential probable first round picks as well as brock there uh, but that does mean that it is cleanup time and time to remind you to uh, if you haven't got a bidet yet then go to hellotoshi.com slash pipeline where just for using that URL, you get an automatic 10% off of your brand new bidet from Tushy. Stop wiping, start washing your butt. You go through a lot less toilet paper. It's obviously better for the environment. It's better for you as well. Why delay? Get your bidet today. Jeez, I should be writing Dr. Seuss books. Next week on the program, I do have a a number of guests already lined up. Uh, Funny how it worked out this week. I put out a bunch of requests, and they all were coming back with, uh, I'd love to do the show, but I can't this week. How about next week? And uh, so those guests, I can kind of spoiler alert you already. A couple more first-round picks for the 2021 draft are confirmed for next week. Uh, The probable first goaltender to be taken will be uh, Jesper Wallstedt. Plays for Lulio in uh, Sweden, although his rights were just traded to the Portland Winterhawks. I guess we can ask him about that. He's confirmed with me that he'll be on the show next week, as will, you heard me uh, mention it uh, with uh, Brock earlier this segment, but uh, Francesco Pinelli of the Kitchener Rangers is slotted to be with me next week as well. Another scout who, well, it's not, I guess, not 100% yet, um, but he will be a first-time guest on the program, former NHL player, now an independent scout. And I expect that to be part of next week's show as well. So already next week, uh, looking like it's going to be a fantastic show. uh, And it will be all the much better with you, the listener, on board. Uh, Thank you for for those of you who are returning uh, listeners. And uh, thanks for, uh, if you're a newcomer, then I appreciate you giving the show a try. And obviously all the patrons at patreon.com slash the pipeline show. Definitely appreciate the support from you. As uh, the draft gets closer, those numbers of patrons uh, starts to increase as well, which is fantastic. I hope you'll stick around even after the draft and through next season as well. Because, hey, this is the 16th year of the Pipeline Show. Almost. We're, we're about a month away from going to season 17. And, uh, man, I'm, I'm already looking forward to next year. We get back to normal. Won't that be fantastic? I think it will be. All right, everybody, I hope you enjoy the weekend. I look forward to chatting with you next week here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. My name is Keith Flaming. 
See ya.